As we begin to reintegrate into the world post-lockdown, we're confronted with the fact that our lives are not the same as they were before 2020. And with that comes the realization that a lot of us have to relearn, rebuild, and restart. Struggling to do so myself, I wondered how other people are able to rise from the ashes of crumbled moments throughout their lifetime. I'm Rebecca Lee, and this is season two. How the fuck did you bounce back? Hi. Hi. <laughs> um, thank you so much for doing this. I am so excited to talk to you. Um, for people listening, how we met is just through TikTok. Uh, like I saw Clover's TikTok. I don't remember what it was, but it was something super rad and probably with the banjo. And like, I don't know. I think that's I think that's how we started talking. And then I was like, oh, this this trick is like rad as hell. And then that's it. And the rest is history. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I think I think you followed me on Instagram. I think you followed me on Instagram after, and that's where I saw you. Either I was already following you on Instagram or something, or I followed you back. I do not remember which. And I think it was for your art. Yeah. But you could look cool. Like I usually just follow people back when they look cool. I'm like, <laughs> I'm gonna just like, so that's. And then the rest is history. Um, okay, so how the fuck did you bounce back is there a moment in your life or moments that you hit a challenge or a bump in the road or maybe rock bottom um that you feel comfortable talking about and how do you feel like you overcame that or like what did it take for you to overcome that absolutely um so there's kind of two real big moments that that could really talk about and i guess we could do both um yeah. So the first one would be when I came out to my dad and my mom, for that matter, uh, about six years-ish ago, um, 2017, 2016, around that time. Yeah, I think it was it was late 2016 or early 2017 because Trump had already won. Um, I remember that much. And so I came out to my dad and my dad at the time and to this day is still like a very Christian man. Uh, I grew up in Southwest Virginia, grew up in Appalachia, like, you know, grew up in the Blue Ridge, you know, area. And so, you know, just, just kind of part of the culture that's here. And he didn't like it. He, and he didn't like the fact that I was like both bisexual and like, he didn't really even understand the trans thing at that point. Um, he didn't know what that meant. He didn't, he thought maybe like I was a drag queen or something like that. And mm-hmm. he, he didn't like it. it. It didn't matter which one it was, whether it was trans or drag or whatever. He didn't like that. So he said, not in my house. And he kicked me out. Um, my Holy mom. Shit. Yeah. So my mom was a little bit more understanding and, you know, we were still on speaking terms a little bit after that, where I was like, where she was like, why don't you just tell me sooner? And I'm like, oh, if it makes you feel better, I didn't know for the longest time. Everyone else, I, I think, knew. Uh, there's like a lot of stories of me growing up where people are like, well, yeah, we knew you were gay. Like, have have did you did you know yourself back then? Like, did you ever like look in a mirror? Did you? I was like wearing heels as a straight man, mm-hmm. um, and like didn't really think anything of it. I just was like, well, they're pretty and cool. And then I had a cousin who was literally like, you could just be a girl, you know that, right? Like, you can just like transition i said people don't do that that's not a thing like i'd never i knew a trans woman i didn't even understand what trans was when i knew her we grew up together she's incredible she lives in like pennsylvania or something now she's been a huge inspiration for me we grew up in the same county i think in the same section since this designated area in the county but i didn't even at the time i was like 
hyper defensive of her in high school, but I would still use the wrong pronouns. Like I'd be like, I'd be like, oh, that's X and they're allowed to do whatever they want, but I would not use that. And that's kind of something that I've had to come to terms with the fact that like, I was like in a very weird place where I felt like a, a really good ally, but then, you know, it, I realized as I got older that I was both bisexual and trans, which, you know, I'm not really bisexual anymore. That's a completely different story. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so I, I got kicked out. Um, I bounced around the country a lot. And I moved in, moved up, uh, ended up moving to a really big city. Uh, I don't like to talk about which city that was because I don't know, it's kind of weird. Uh, I can tell you about that some other time. Yeah. Um, but so I ended up in this big city and got my first like real, real, real job. Before that, I'd always worked restaurant or factory work. So, cause that's the only thing to really do in my county is you either, you become a nurse, you become, you, you work fast food, or you go over to the, the city next to us and you work like a uh, restaurant work or something. We have restaurants here, but it's not enough to like really sustain an economy as far as like people working there or you work in the factory. It's where my mom works. And that's where I worked for a little bit was at the window factory. Um, and the window factory isn't always the most reliable thing. It's gone under uh, new management a couple of times in my life, in my lifetime. So, Which is interesting. Cause it's like, it just goes to show like, even when you pick some like the uh, like quote unquote like normal typical job or whatever it doesn't mean that you have like security like you said like it's got like it's gone under new management or it's gone under a couple times or whatever so it's just like it is another thing that like reaffirms like my existence and what I do is like oh yeah even if I did something status quo like it could everything could still go to shit so you might as well like do the thing you want to do instead um anyway that's a tangent but keep going uh, I feel like there's gonna be a lot of tangents because yeah. tangent of a person. Uh, but so I, you know, after I came out, I got kicked out, and I always done like you know local jobs and stuff that would otherwise be considered like very blue collar or lowly work by some people in cities. Um, and so when I got to this new city, I worked in tech. I'd, I had had a, an interest in tech before. I'd done an AP computer science course in high school, and I'd done a couple like freelance stuff a couple freelance things while I was like, you know, working in the factory or working in the restaurants, I was doing this. And so I ended up just starting to apply. And I had a really good friend. Her name was Alexandra. Um, still is. I don't think she's changed her name, mm-hmm. but um, she reached out to me. Uh, we weren't friends at this point. She reached out to me because she saw I was homeless and she was like, Hey, I can't really do a whole lot for you, but I'll go ahead and like put together your resume and help you apply for these jobs in all these like big cities. And so I started applying to all these big cities. Jobs. Where were you sleeping? I had a friend up in Northern Virginia, actually, Fredericksburg area. Um, originally, so I got kicked out, had a friend over at Holland's College in Roanoke, which is an all-women's college um, in Southwest Virginia, which I really like. Um, and they let me stay with them for a couple of days because they knew that I was trans at that point and, you know, gay. And they were like, yeah, of course you can come stay with me. And um, it's funny, that was actually like, we had hooked up a couple of times before that. And that's kind of the only reason why we know, knew each other was like as hookups, but mm-hmm. they were one of the few other queer people that I knew at the time. And I was like, hey, I know there's a lot to ask, but my parents just kicked me out. And they said, absolutely, please come over here. Like, I know that you need a place. And so I stayed with them for a few days. And then my cousin, the same one who was like, you know, you can just be a girl, uh, actually mm-hmm. ended up letting me sleep in his trailer uh, for a day or two. And then my friend drove down from Northern Virginia in Fredericksburg and she's originally from the Shenandoah Valley. So I think, don't hold me to that. But so she picked me up and took me on, you know, to Fredericksburg. 
sorry, I've been drinking so much Dr. Pepper. Uh, <laughs> You're good. But anyway, she she picked me up and she took me on to Fredericksburg and I stayed with her for about three months. Um, mm. During that time, like, I had a lot happen. Um, people sent me money to, like, keep me afloat and that was super cool um, because, like, I don't know how it happened, but my GoFundMe kind of blew up a little bit and people were like, oh my God, a homeless queer person, let's like send her all this money. And like, it wasn't like, looking back, it wasn't a lot of money, it was about $1,500. But at the time for someone who's from where I'm from and like who grew up the way I did, that was a whole lot of money to have all at one time. I'd never had over like, outside of like one tax return, I'd never had more than like a thousand dollars in my bank account. So it was really cool that I had like $1,500. And yeah, a lot of that went to like, you know, gas and that kind of thing and like Katie like coming down to get me and so but that also helped me like get my resume together it helped me get some medicine that I needed it helped me like take a plane or a train to Chicago or Austin or Boston or whatever while I was applying for all these jobs and getting you know interviews and stuff and these were all like very entry-level tech jobs but still tech jobs like still like you know the, the jobs you're supposed to get when you you know the they're the jobs that you know supposedly all the money is in mm. so i finally got one and i you know uh took a train out to this city and just kind of like stayed there um and first job i ever had was basically it was tech support it was like phone you know customer service tech support and it paid more than i ever thought i would imagine getting paid it paid starting out 15 dollars an hour and this is back in 2017. Mm -hmm. So, and this was a big city. So I very quickly realized that $15 an hour is not as much as I thought it was. Um, but also it's still like, it was still way more. Cause I was, still, I was making just enough to get by, but because just enough to get by there was so much more back home. I could, you know, mom would be like, Hey, even though my parents had already kicked me out, my mom would still be like, Hey, we're having some problems with like the water bill, you know, electricity, the, um, uh, you know, phone bill, anything like that. And I'd be like, yeah, of course I'd send $40 here, a hundred dollars here, because to them that would like, that would pay their water bill for three or four months or wow. that'd pay electricity for two or three months or something. Was that, was that hard for you? Like knowing that you got kicked out by them and them still coming to you and asking you like for financial help, like how did that make you feel? Didn't bother me in the slightest. Cause I knew, and I still know to this day that family has always had my back. Even in that one instance where things were tough and things were really hard, um, family always had my back and I always had my family's back. Um, you know, I didn't talk to my dad for a very long time. It took about two years of me being gone, I think, to talk to my dad. Um, and, you know, even when we did talk, it wasn't like the most supportive thing. Um, he has since come around like drastically. Um, and, you know, I think there was a thing that caused that with a, a friend of his. Um, and I'm not going to get too much into that, mm -hmm. but he, I think he kind of like, you know, he definitely has come around a lot and he uses Clover. He uses, you know, she, her pronouns for me. He does mess up sometimes, but it's still very supportive. Uh, back to the city. Oh, I was working at this job and um, I kind of was starting to move up. I always wanted to be an engineer. And so I started pushing towards that way and like going to like coding camps and like, um, or like boot camp, like the coding things that they do. Right. Yep. Matt and I was teaching myself more code because I'd already knew a little bit because of AP computer science. And so when I was doing that, like I'd kind of start absorbing more and more and like kind of being able to work my way up to like 
different levels of product support, which eventually led to a junior engineering role, which eventually led to more and more to the point where I was like a functioning member of the middle class, essentially. Um, and then, and, and there's a lot of weird stuff there too. Like if, if you want me to talk about class at all, because like- Yeah, feel free. I mean- Coming from the background I do. So my mom works in a factory. Dad's a public school teacher. They raised five kids. Um, wow. And my dad's side is the side that we lived closest to mostly. We looked close to my mom's mom too. She was in the city. Mom grew up in the city and dad grew up you know, in the country. And, you know, uh, my, uh, dad's side, they were sharecroppers. So no one, there's a little bit of family history that I'm not really going to get super into. Um, but my granny and my papa, their first jobs, the first thing they ever did was, you know, sharecropping. The first time my papa ever made money, he was in his twenties and he grew a little plot of tobacco and was able to sell off uh, half of it. Cause are you familiar with like sharecropping? Not, I mean, not really other okay. than like the basics that you like learn in school or whatever, but that's the extent of it. Yeah. So tell me, uh, basically he, they were allowed to live on the land and they were uh, partitioned part of that land and they were supposed to get half of their crop every year to, uh, you know, the owners of land. My right. papa were the Jones family and then granny's family worked for the, it was either the Englishes or the Condes. I don't remember which. Um, and so first, first bit of uh, money papa ever made that was able to, he was able to keep it. He, he, it was a, it was a pot of tobacco and, you know, he said he made, I think it was $500 and which is a lot of money back in the, you know, 50 yeah. 40 it was or the six the 60s or early 60s like something like that and he he got x amount of dollars from it and he spent x amount of dollars on a new car and it was just really interesting seeing that that was the first time he ever made real money and he he also went out and bought something a brand new car and it goes back to you know when you come from generational poverty no no matter the paycheck within reason is going to fix that so yeah my papa got a good paycheck and he got a car but then you know that's not stable but even though he he had a car and that's great you know same for me i get this i'm now functionally middle class but i'm seeing all these people around me making the same amount of money and it just seems to go farther because they're not you know sending that money back home they're not you know saving up to fix their teeth because you know we grew up on well water and my dad's side has just genetically just terrible teeth and we grew up drinking a lot of soda so like my papa by the time he was 28 had full dentures my granny by the time she was 32 had full dentures my dad is missing a couple teeth he's got partial dentures in. he's got crowns in my brother uh easton had to get uh jaw surgery uh and has had a really bad bone infection his jaw twice um both of my um youngest brothers they have had issues with their teeth where they had to get like full oral surgery when they were like i don't think they had even hit 10 years old at this point wow both of them had to get like full oral surgery so I, i'm still saving uh i'm trying to raise money to like i haven't really done anything with that recently yeah that's but, just expensive it's like fucking dental work is so expensive i got a, a quote and i was like Oof, it was like fifty thousand dollars yeah it's fucking outrageous I was like, oh, okay, well, and like, they don't want to do dentures anymore for younger people. I found that out hmm. because the, it'll cause bone degradation and that can cause things like infection or cancer and all that. So they want you to do implants, mm -hmm. but implants are just so expensive. So expensive. That, yeah. So that's, that's kind of a tangent I went on, but 
uh, we can go back to kind of how bounce back. And as I was really starting to bounce back and becoming that, you know, functional middle America living in the city, you know, and at this time too, I was also like, I was basically pretending I was not from Southwest Virginia. I was like, I had suppressed my accent as much as I could. I was not listening to traditional music. I wasn't like talking and like being with my family as much as I would have usually enjoyed. And all of that, I just felt so disconnected from my culture. Why do you feel like you did that? There is a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of reasons. Um, There's part of it being, you know, part of my family who grew up in the city does not have an accent. And when they look at my dad's side of the family, they see, you know, uneducated, they see, you know, hillbilly, they see, Mm. you know, whatever they want to see. And so I was raised from a very early age to, you know, you drop that accent because if you get out of here, they're not going to take you seriously with that accent. You got to go to college. You got to, because no one's going to take you seriously. And it still reflects this day, even though I have my accent back now and I've been spending time with Granny and Papa and like, you know, letting my accent back out and like unlearning suppression. And, you know, since I've been with them and I've had issues where I'll be, where I still work in the tech industry and I work remotely, I, and I'm trying not to do it now, I suppress my accent on Zoom calls. I suppress mm. my accent when I'm making TikToks because that's that's how the outside world is going to view me. And I feel like I have to be this very well put together, this like, like I'm, I'm already dealing with the teeth thing. I'm already dealing with like all these other things. I can't on top of add that with having this accent because, you know, what are people going to think? What are people going to think of my parents? They raised me to do this and, you know? Yeah, it's hard to like overcome that like, well, what's society going to think? Well, ha- like, how am I supposed to fit in if I'm different, you know? And it's hard to, like, come back to, like you're saying, like, no, that, like, authentic version of you is, like, the best version of you. And, like, fu- and if people don't understand that, then fuck them. Okay, like, you know, but that's hard. It's fucking hard. Absolutely. No, it, and it goes back to when I was living in that city, um, I was dating someone. Um, actually, ignore that. I had a person I knew. Um, and they like, they weren't awful or nothing, but like, there would be times where like, I'd say something and it was, it'd be something like very casual, like, you know, like, oh, like I say, oh, like, you know, cook an oil or mm-hmm. I'd say, I'd, I'd drop a G at the end of a, like a verb and, or I would, you know, say pen versus pen or whatever. Um, and so like, you know, just, just all sorts of things like that. And it would always be like, I remember one time uh i said like like i was like oh i'm like you know i grew up near north carolina and this guy that we were with was like north carolina and i was like i didn't even say it like that that's not my accent even like with my full accent that's not how my accent sounds my accent is not that you know deep south accent it's it's an appalachian accent it's different and so it's one of those things that it it just got frustrating and eventually uh i kind of stopped hanging out with all these people and I moved, I I moved back home. I couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't take the way that I was looked at. I couldn't take some of the jokes that I was getting. I couldn't, I like, okay. So like, you know, I I play bluegrass music. I didn't Mm -hmm. at the time, uh, or I was just starting to when I moved away and I'd always grown up with bluegrass and old time music and, you know, grew up with, you know, banjos and fiddles all around me. And so when I moved, I kind of stopped listening to a lot of that music because I was like, well, I don't want people to, you know, see me that way as well as there was definitely some like self-hatred for the region and for myself um and then when i moved i would listen to very like generic 
folk music like i would be like like i'd listen to like the avid brothers i'd listen to um okra medicine show or mm-hmm. you know just just kind of stuff like that Gen- general like folky americana mm-hmm. and even then i would get people like being like wow you listen to this hit music and i was like i was like do y'all do y'all know what we listen to back home like do you know what bluegrass is do you know what old time is and i didn't know it was called old time time i usually just called it traditional but that's another story for another time um but like so essentially like, they were like bullying you they thought it was like haha cutesy but when it's a whole bunch of people from the city no. yeah like, but we know that that's not what it is like that like absolutely yeah okay yeah and then it all came to a head one day when um one of the people who like no she had never actually partaken in this but she was kind of part of that group and she went and bought a banjo and i was like okay that's cool like i like banjo like you know i grew up with it and so she started learning she started learning with a pick like you know a little guitar pick and that's (laughs) fine but most no one in the region plays banjo with a pick like that's just not something you do um and i'm never going to tell someone not to play something so if you want to play your music and you want to use a banjo to play your music but I was like, well, that's not really how it sounds back home. And so I started thinking, well, like, what if I did? What if I could, like, learn to play banjos or something? So I was actually visiting family for Thanksgiving. And, you know, I was going back to the city after that. And by this time, I am on speaking terms with my family. Everything's getting a lot better. Um, I have, you mo- have you moved back at this point? I have not moved back at this okay, point. This, okay. this, this is right before me moving okay. back. It was like a month before I moved back. Um, I buy a banjo and I take it back. Um, and I'm just like at home or in the city and I'm like trying to learn and I pick it up fairly quickly. I'm not gonna say it wasn't hard, but it did come slightly more naturally. And I think it was because like I had grown up here and even though I never played or nothing, I could always like, I, I know, I remember what it sounded like in my head. I remember what like granny listened to the Stanley brothers or Papa listened to Flat and Scruggs growing up or just like going to Floyd or Galax or we didn't really go to Galax um I'll get into that later but you know any of the local music stuff I remember how it sounded so like I immediately like kind of like could hear something in my head and I would start playing and like try to get towards that sound even if it wasn't the exact sound that I was creating I was getting closer and closer as the days went on and because your your ear is already kind of like attuned to like hearing that yeah that makes sense exactly and so then like then i moved back home uh you know a contract i was working on ended in the city and i was like i'm going back home and this is right when COVID hit so i moved back home and COVID hit so now i'm like spending all this time inside and i'm like well like i guess i'll just like you know keep playing and i I kept playing and then like i was able before right before COVID lockdowns hit but after COVID had kind of already started there was still like this air this like time where you could like go like go out to things no one was really like masking or you know there's no lockdowns yet so i would go to the floyd country store which is a county over uh which has like a very long history floyd county in general which is where my mom's mom's side or sorry my mom's dad's side of the family was from and there's this long history of traditional music being played in floyd uh as well as parts of franklin which is where i'm from and so i'd start going to these like open jams or these jamborees or anything like that and like it just you know came fairly natural to me but like it just you know it it kind of there's there's an old saying around here um which is it flung a craven on me so like it like yeah i've know, never heard that yeah it's it's all it's just appalachianisms That's where cool. 
it's it flung a craven. So like it, it just, you know, I just got real into it, and just yeah. started doing it all the time. And, you know, I, I picked up pretty quick to the point where like, even in these like places where everyone else like was playing or knew me before I transitioned, who didn't realize who I was now, like had been playing like for a long time, they would be like, how long have you been playing? I'd be like, oh, like six months, something like that. And they'd be like, I could have swore you'd been playing for like a year, two years or something. I was like, no. And so now I'm actually hitting the two, two and a half year mark. People like, I'm like able to keep up. I'm still like learning and I'm still doing a lot, but I like, I've talked to you about separately. I might be going on tour really soon. And usually don't hear of someone going into a music genre and then being able to go tour or just going into music for the first time ever. Oh yeah. On tour within the first like three years of playing. So and you're like, fucking good i had no idea you weren't that you've it was you know in the last two years or whatever i thought yeah. for sure you've been playing for a long time you're just, you're really fucking good uh, i really do appreciate that yeah uh, i still have a lot to learn um there's a lot of stuff i need to get better at but you know just gotta keep practicing keep playing what so, what does uh, your family think about um you uh like pursuing music and going on tour and all of that um at first they were really hesitant because they didn't think i'd be able to do it well like i remember there's one time um my papa well i came home and i was like i was like well i'll start playing banjo and he goes he goes you playing that old there's there's two styles predominantly in you know bluegrass and old time and that's claw hammer or three finger they're definitely more styles than that but for the time being we'll just say there's two styles and he said not clover well he, he said my dead name whatever but he said, he said, now you, you play in that old claw style or you, you playing, you know, the three finger. And I was like, well, Papa, I'm playing three finger. And he said, good, good, good. And I said, well, why? And he said, he said, well, no, I like claw. I love claw. But he said, you can't make money playing claw. You just can't do it. And that's not true anymore, but it definitely used to be. Claw was considered the, the old way of doing things. You didn't, that was what you did around, like uh, around the house. You pick in with somebody else what you did. But if you were going to be a musician, you play three finger that has since changed, but you know, that was kind of how he viewed it. And so a couple months passed by, I bring my phone over and I'm showing granny one of my videos and she goes, you guys sound pretty good. She's like, she's like, you sound real good. And Papa like perks his ear up. He said, is that you? I said, yeah, that's me. He said, that's not bad. And then I did my first gig in Nashville recently and I brought my phone and I showed him the video of me playing in Nashville. And he said, he said, he said, all right. He said, he said, I guess, I guess you could do this. And him and my granny both are like, I guess you could be a musician. I can see that happening. Is that hard? Is that hard for you like mentally to, cause obviously you have the fucking talent, but like to do something different than what your family has generationally done? Like, was that challenging? I guess you did that like going into tech even, um, I Sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, go that that like so I'm just wondering like mentally was that tough for you to like overcome traditions and be like, oh, I actually don't want to do that, even though like I know it's a generational thing, but I'd rather do this thing. Like was yeah. that hard was that hard for you to make that decision? Or like what's the thought process around that? Absolutely. Um so it's really cool that you talk about that because I've talked about this to other people. Uh, you know, my family for generation has been farmers. Well then tobacco died out. People don't really grow tobacco anymore. It, it happens a little bit, but that really died out. So around the time that died out, Papa started working in a factory. Uh, he worked in a different factory than my mom works in now. We got a couple of different little factories here and there that pop up and shut down. He got fired from a different factory, had to go to a different factory, um, not getting to that. And then 
uh, dad actually became a school teacher. Well, dad actually kind of falls into the farming thing too a little bit because he grew up farming. He grew up, you know, you know, uh, I think, I don't know if he ever picked tobacco, but he definitely primed tobacco. He, he probably picked it too. I don't really know. But since he picked tobacco, like there is, there's a cycle to farming and my family has been farming for generations. And the thing in, is with farming, you get more breaks than you realize. It's not an easy job by any means, but there's, uh, I don't know if it's a Bible, I think it's a Bible verse, but it's also like a really popular song. Uh, there's a time, uh, there's a time to plant, there's a time to harvest, um, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Well, a really cool thing is like, Papa would talk about his dad when they were sharecropping. And even though sharecroppers were extremely poor and stuff, he was still able to like, when there wasn't anything to do around the farm, he could, he could go do something. He could go like, go, you know, listen to music, dance. He could do all these other things that almost feel like a luxury to me working in um, like a modern era because like, you know, there were days you could just take off because there wasn't a lot to do on the farm. You'd get up, you'd do your thing in the morning and then you'd have all day because, you know, maybe the crops haven't, aren't ready to, you know, pick or there's nothing to can and there's nothing to, you know, there's nothing to really do. So you have these cycles of more and less work that kind of ebb and flow. And my dad also falls into that cycle as a school teacher mm. because during the summer, he gets right. to take summer off. Now they don't get paid for the summer, um, but, you know, they... They can take the whole summer off and he can he can really recharge and relax and i was the first generation uh I, I, except for papa who did work in a factory but would still like have farming on the side too a little bit with his own personal garden he did a lot of sustenance farming to like you know pad like what we could eat and stuff so um but i'm kind of the first one in the family to not do any type of job that has that ebb and flow. Like I don't get to take three months off at a time. I don't get to take days off that, and I don't know if it's genetic. I don't know what it is, but I could feel it. Like I was, I was working these tech jobs and I could like, I could feel the burnout happening so quickly, mm. but I'd have days where I was like incredible. I could do like all this stuff. And, and I, I just wonder how much of that is like stuff that's gotten passed down like genetically. And I don't, I don't, like obviously we adapt to certain things and I don't know enough about genetics to say if that's something that could have been passed down, mm -hmm. but you know, it's one of those things I have like noticed because like it is generationally, generationally very different than what my ancestors have done. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know enough about genetics either, but that like makes complete sense. And then, and then you go like, okay, well, how much does capitalism have to do with this like burnout uh, mentality? And it's like, yeah, probably, probably a, a bunch. Um, but okay. Okay. So where are we now? Where, where were we in your timeline? I'm so sorry. This happens a lot when I talk. Cause I just like, no, don't apologize. It's great. Uh, okay. You picked up banjo. We're in quarantine time. Yeah. Well, that's okay. when I started getting on TikTok and I started like posting things. Yes. Okay. Um, it took me about a year to actually like blow up, blow up. I think I'd had like up until that one video of me getting in the back of the truck, I had like 8,000 followers, which is pretty solid. Yeah. But it wasn't like, it wasn't like this incredible following. And then I did that one video and I went from like 8,000 to like 40,000 to 70,000 within like a two week period and just like massive blow up. And then from there, I've slowly gained followers here and there and I'm up to about 240,000 now. Um, so, so wild. 
yeah, uh, it's super weird, uh, but really cool. I, if any of my followers are listening now, I appreciate the hell out of every single one of you, whether it's just like liking, following, sending money or anything like that. It's been like a wild ride and I would not like be able to do this without like the massive amount of support that I've received. So. I know. I wouldn't even know you if it wasn't for TikTok. I'm so happy about that. Um, yeah. It's great. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, have you um, – well, I'm going to ask this in a second. I have, like, notes because I have so many questions for you. <laughs> um, okay, so if, if you were going to talk to somebody who is struggling with their identity, because it sounds like – and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, you come from a very um, traditional family with – generations of um doing the same doing the same things and then you're here and you step outside of that and you transition and you move to a city and you pursue music all of which are new to your like um family tree so if someone was is experiencing that where they like they want to do something different than their family or even like do something different than what society deems as like quote unquote normal like do you have any advice to them because it I know that it's really hard and and it sounds like you went through a really difficult time when your family wasn't talking to you so it's like what advice do you have to give someone who's feeling that way or like do you remember how you felt in those low points and like do you just have any advice at all for somebody yeah um I think I've got two, two pieces of advice. Um, one is a, is an old Appalachian saying, and the other is a little more personal. The first one is don't get above your raisin, um, which you might've heard before. No, wait, say it again. Don't get above your raisin. I've never heard this. Yes. It's, it's, it's another one of those old Appalachian or possibly Southern sayings. I don't, it's hard to tell the difference sometimes because like there's a lot of shared culture and stuff, but don't get above your raisin is like, you know, you come from a family, you come from a class, you come from a culture. Don't ever think you're above that. Don't ever think you're like more important than the world. Don't think you're more important than, and, and obviously this is not including like, obviously if you are coming from abuse and you want to get away from that, that is completely different. Right. But if you're just coming from a rural background or something and you moved off to this big city or something, don't ever think that you're better than, the generations that you know made it possible for you to move to that city because mm. you know and i don't mean this in like a talk down kind of way i mean this in a this is me talking to myself you know even you know six years ago mm-hmm. this is me talking to you know that you know that little pre-transition kid who like really thought that like where she was from was worse than everywhere else and so I guess that's my, my first thing is like, you know, remember where you come from, even if you don't always love it, remember it, remember it and, and keep it close and always be able to go back. Don't, don't burn that bridge. Cause mm. it's, it's pretty necessary in my opinion. Um, and that, that actually goes to a lot of trans people too. I've, I've talked to, and I give this advice a lot. Um, and that's if, if you are trans and you're from a rural background, um, I know it can be really easy to turn your back and say, well, this place has never loved me, so why would I ever love it? And remember that there are other people like you in that community. There's going to be kids coming up in the future being brought up that are trans, that are queer, and they're going to need someone in that community. They're going to need someone around, and that could be you. Don't turn around the back on that community. Be the change in that community. Mm. I'm not saying you have to run for office. I'm not saying you have to, you know, put up with bigots, but I am saying that 
always, always be there for the next generation of you. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, because I can imagine like not seeing yourself represented in well, one in the place that you're living, but two also like in media and you know anything that we're consuming it's hard then to be like oh I can do it like because it's like you're the first person to do it so it's like it's just so hard when you're not when you don't see yourself reflected in the world so it's like I totally get what you're saying like be the change in your like community because then other people can see you and be like oh well they did this so like I can do it too so like I totally get what you're saying um, yeah. What, what was the other, the other piece of advice? I started bleeding it into it a little bit. Um, but the second piece of advice is like, say, and this, this one's going to sound a little more generic, actually. I realized the first one I said, which was, which was the old saying is going to sound less generic than the, you know what I'm going to say, but be true to that authentic self. Be like, be that person that you are internally. And whether that's being trans or that's being queer or being like alternative in any way, like be that person and be that person fully. Don't sacrifice parts of yourself for a good image or a good job or anything like that because that part of you is gonna eat you up. It's gonna eat you up till the day you die. And you're always gonna wish like, I wish I would have been just a little bit more for myself. Um, I know that one because the thing that really got me coming back to my Appalachian culture, I didn't really go back to this earlier, is my great grandmother uh, who was from Floyd County, Virginia. Uh, who I grew up going to her house. I grew up going to family reunions with her family. She passed away while I was living in the city. And I, I flew back and I went to the funeral and I saw so many people. And it was like a, this was my last living great grandparent. And this happened in my early twenties. And I was like, and, and her son, my grandfather, um, he, he knew I'd come out and he, he was very supportive of it. His name is Ron. Um, and he said, he said, you know, I know, I understand why you never, you know, told Dorothy and that's, you know, it, well, he, he said mom and, you know, I would say, you know, Mamaw or something. And, but he said, I understand why you never told her, you know, but I do think she would have supported you. And it like broke my heart in a weird way that like, I was like, oh, that, like, he, he didn't even mean it in a bad way. He, it was just like a, wow, I wish I would have been myself a little bit sooner and she could have seen that. Um, and you talked about capitalism earlier. I'm not going to necessarily capitalism killed her or nothing, but she uh, didn't want to buy new medicine. She had an old antibiotic that she took and apparently it. she was just old enough that it happened. But, you know, everything happens for a reason. I, I do believe that most of the time. And she passed away about a year before COVID started and she was 96. Um, wow. So, or 97, I, she, she might have been older than that. But she, uh, she, she didn't have to see the world of COVID. She didn't have to see any of that. And I think, I think that's a little lucky. I think that the way she passed is a lot better than you know had she had gotten COVID. Because I, you know, maybe she would have lived through COVID. I, I really don't know. But had she had gotten COVID, I think it could have been a lot worse than what did happen. And so, sorry, that's another little tangent. No, no, I mean. I, I mean, yeah, that's like the ultimate thing, right? It's like someone passes and you wish you would have been more true to yourself in their presence. But in all fairness, you 
can only operate from the place you're at when you're there. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, hindsight's always twenty twenty, And it's like, I should have done, I could have done whatever. But you were you did what the best you could with the information you had at the time. And that's that, you know. Um, but I'm sure like you've learned a lot since then. And it sounds like you are now your authentic self and you get to show the world that and it's very fucking cool. And this is like another tangent. This is just like a whole tangent episode, which I love. Um, you said like earlier in the beginning, like, you know, people you felt like people would look at you differently with the accent or like different things like that or like. Uh, like dental stuff, things, things of that nature, like phrases that you say. I think that that's so cool. Like in my head, it's not like, oh, it's different and that's bad. It's like, oh, that's different and it's so rad. Like, oh my God, I rhymed. That's very embarrassing. Um, But like, it's what makes people cool. Cause I don't want to like hang out with like a bunch of people like me. Like, I don't want to, that's like sounds the word. Like that sounds fucking awful. I want to, I want to surround myself with like the most diverse collective of individuals because that's the most interesting, you know? So it's just, it's interesting. I guess anybody listening who feels different, that's fucking cool. That's what makes you cool. So like try to embrace those those qualities if you can because like there's only one version of you. Fuck being like everybody else. That's boring. Absolutely. You know? Um okay. Okay, so we talked about the one hardship which was mm-hmm. when you came out to your family. Um I know you mentioned another one. Did we already talk about the other one? We kind of got into it. It's when I lost my job most recently. Um, oh, 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 yeah. I don't think were we. I don't know if we were oh, recording. Oh, 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 now I don't remember. Maybe I don't remember. Okay. So for the listeners at home, I lost my job about a month ago, um, and I'm currently in the middle of bouncing back from that. Where it's I was doing some tech work, and I lost my job very suddenly. Was not given a warning. There was no reason given for me losing my job. It was just overnight i woke up and i had a meeting scheduled i went to that meeting and they were letting me go and is that legal yes it is legal Mm -hmm. you can just let someone go without a reason fuck that that's 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 fucking weird um okay california that's devastating what it's not legal in california but i was working from virginia from a place in new york and both of those are at will or right to work oh okay okay I got so it. I was I was let go and I kind of just took it as a sign to like, you know, do TikTok full time. I'm still looking for another job in the meantime, but like I was I was given a ton of support on TikTok and I'm realizing like maybe this is me. This is me transitioning into like you were saying early transitioning to a new like life step where yeah, it might not be as consistent as an engineering job, but instead of engineering I get to, you know, hang out with my family and, you know, embrace my culture even more and like show that culture off to the world to the point where Appalachian is not, no longer seen as, you know, all these bad stereotypes. It is seen as a rich cultural area that is steeped in music and dance and craft and food that isn't seen in other places in the world. Mm-hmm. So that's- yeah. I, I also like, I really admire that you are so proud of the culture that you're from. Well, one, that you even know your lineage. I don't fucking know. I don't know anything about my culture because I didn't really have a culture. Like, 
it just wasn't presented to me. I, there's no traditions. I don't know what my mix of ethnicity is. Like, I just don't know any of that information. Um, and I refuse to do the 23 me because I don't want to spit in a cup and then them have my DNA forever. That feels weird. Um, but, like, you know, and you're so proud of it. And that, like, inspires me to, like, want to know about, like, A, about your culture and all the cool things in Appalachia, um, but also my own because I'm like, I don't know what I even am or, like, where I come from. Um, so I love that. It's very inspirational. Thank you. Um, you talked a little bit about TikTok. How has, like, community affected you um, whether that's like on a personal level or a work level, because it sounds like the TikTok community has like really embraced you, which is mm-hmm. fucking wonderful. Do you feel like it's been like a positive influence or has there been like any like negatives to community? Because I know I talked to you. I did an interview with someone who's also um, like big on social media platforms. Hers is more YouTube, but like she talked a lot about like cyberbullying and mm-hmm how that kind of shaped who she was. Um, And I'm just curious about like what your experience is with all of these different platforms. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd say that as far as community goes, 99.99% of people on TikTok have been extremely accepting and incredible. Um, And of that 0.01% or 0.1% or whatever, yeah, they can be like jerks, but you know, I've dealt with jerks my entire life and I'll deal with jerks for the rest of my life. So what's, oh, the sun's coming down. So it's going to like start again. Okay, I'm going like vampire again. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so, you know, I have people bullying me for completely like weird reasons on TikTok. Like anything from being trans to my teeth, to being a hillbilly, to Appalachians not really having culture, to me pretending to be Appalachian because like, my region isn't part of the ARC, which is entirely another conversation we can have, but I'm not gonna worry about that. Um, but like, why are they trying to keep you out of that? That's so weird. Why are they like you're not Appalachian or like your 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 county isn't? Like, why would you? Who fucking like? I think very it's, very gatekeepy. Yeah, and it's not even like because I do think that like gatekeeping can be good sometimes. I think like close practices and stuff. Like obviously like can be gatekept and stuff. And like, I I too understand the not wanting outside influence in Appalachia. I totally understand that. Me and my partner have talked about the evolution of bluegrass music and where it is right now and how like, there are sometimes I wish that it was a culturally more close knit community of musicians, even though I would never stop someone from playing a certain type of music, especially bluegrass, which is so uniquely Appalachian, but even broadly more so it is uniquely American, uniquely American South because of like the black, the Scotch Irish influence, the German influence, the uh, like all these different influences coming together to create this music that is old time, which then, you know, became bluegrass. And bluegrass is very, bluegrass old time was very steeped in tradition in Appalachia, but take place outside of Appalachia as well. So it's very hard to say that, you know, no one else can play it, but I don't know. I don't know how to, I wish I could, I was a little bit better at talking about that. Yeah. 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 No, I'm just curious because it's like, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I just think it's interesting because it's like, yeah. Why, why do you think you would rather it be like a little bit more like tight knit? I think I'd rather be a little more tight knit because you have people coming from outside and they are 
creating this music and the music ends up getting so far away from like the soul and the heart of old time and bluegrass it becomes like it's the way that you know jazz used to be this like very soulful music created by black people to becoming mostly what is white men pretend not pretending uh trying to be as good as they possibly can on their instruments and putting no soul into that you see a lot of that in bluegrass as well and old time where this traditional form of music that has like a lot of traditional cultural ties is now being like played by people from you know like very you know affluent non-southern and non-appalachian backgrounds and they're basically turning it into look how good i am at my instrument and it right. it's being about the music it stops being about the soul it stops being about putting yourself into this instrument putting that into the world it becomes like a for lack of a better term becomes a pissing contest mm -hmm. it's yeah. so it's like they're co-opting the if i'm understanding this right it's like they're co-opting the sound doing a poor job of it and also not giving credit to where it, it originally comes from is that kind I of the first two definitely the third one a lot of even like the uh very 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 progressive musicians who are like getting away from the original sound they do tend to at least understand it comes from the south and it comes from appalachia like they a lot of them do understand that and they will talk about that but the first two definitely it hits on that yeah okay that's okay that's that's interesting um Okay, where are we at? God damn it. We're like, we're getting close to time, but I am so interested in, in talking to you. Okay, t two things and then we can we can stop. Um, okay. I love your social handle, which is Hillbilly Gothic, yeah? Yeah. Earlier in the conversation, when we were talking about like um, people like – throwing quote-unquote like insults or whatever at you like hillbilly was one of the words that you used um mm -hmm. that people would kind of um associate associate with you in a negative way but you've used it as part of your handle and yeah. I relate to that I'll, we'll talk about that in a second but like why did you choose that why did what? you choose something that is like traditionally an insult or whatever and you and you like took it back like just Explain that a little bit. Uh, you know, I think it's one of those things where it's been used against me and like I've heard it used against my family and I've heard it used against my friends. And, you know, it happened a lot when I was living in a city where I got called a hillbilly. And I was like, I was like, no, nah, I'm not a hillbilly. You should see people back home. They're but then like it, I realized I was like, well, I'm just doing the same thing they are. So and I got to the point where I was like, yeah, I'm a hillbilly. I'm missing some of my teeth. I play bluegrass. I'm like, who knows? Like there's all these things that are just like bad cultural stereotypes that some of them, I guess I do fit for one reason or another. And even though I do fit them, like that doesn't, you know, just because I fit some of those cultural stereotypes doesn't mean that cultural stereotype actually exists. It just means you threw a bunch of shit at the wall. And because of some of it stuck, you decided to be like, oh, well, you know, of course she's from Appalachia. She doesn't have her teeth. Even though like a lot of my friends have like all their teeth and they're completely like, they have like good dental health it just happens to be that i came from a family that genetically had bad teeth and you know yeah soda don't help at all either but you know. yeah but it's like it's like you took what 
could be an insult and you were like yeah this isn't an insult like this is who I am and like you feel now it seems like more comfortable being your authentic self where like shit like that doesn't bother you enough so that like you would make it your social handle and I relate to that because my art is fatherless behavior art and it's like I named it that because I saw I don't know it was a TikTok video of some woman being like her beautiful self and some fucking dude commented like this is fatherless behavior or something like meaning it as an insult and I was like and I too like I don't talk to my father like we're estranged and I was like oh my god that's an insult but like I don't want it to be an insult that doesn't have to be an insult like I would like to take it back and like feel power using that term instead of like letting some dickhead like say that it's a negative thing like people who don't talk to their dads are also great like we don't need to like make these things so negative so I just relate to that so much of being like oh no I'm gonna take this thing and make it my own now um okay and my last question um when you're having like a bad day like let's say you're having a bad mental health day um like what do you do to make yourself feel better or to at least like come to a state of like uh, like a middle ground or something how do you how do you take care of yourself in those moments I drive okay wait elaborate I I get in the truck and I just start driving let me let me okay you know I'm gonna I'm gonna turn the thing around I'm gonna let you see what it looks like outside right because okay you can see the mountains a little bit in the background Uh yeah Uh, you can see the train move in a little bit Mm -hmm. oh yeah gorgeous out there and that's that's what I do So so you drive I just drive I listen to some bluegrass or some old time and I just drive through the mountains. I'll drive up to the floor to you know Floyd County or I'll I'll cross over to Roanoke County or something or you know go down to Henry. Just what I'll do you feel drive. like that what do you feel like that gives you? Culture or not culture. It gives me a connection to the land. It gives me a connection to where my family's been for two hundred and forty years. Um so like it puts you it puts things into perspective a little bit yeah yeah that's 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 I love that because it's like a perspective change is always like super helpful when you're either in your head or in a bad mental space to like kind of zoom out and be like well wait is this that big of a deal or is this just the perspective that I have on this okay who who is a person that has helped you the most during challenging times in your life? Probably my granny. Is she still, is she still with us? Yeah, I see her all the time. We break beans sometimes. She, I, I posted a video of her the other day on my story of her shucking corn. Um, she's my dad's mom. She is from Sontag, Virginia, which is you know, right down the road, uh, west of Smith Mountain or southwest of Smith Mountain. Um, um, but yeah, how has she, how has she like helped you and supported you through difficult times? I'm just anything from like, when I was younger, she was the only one that understood I was having anxiety attacks, even though she called them nerves. She said that it was just a nerve, uh, and just the nerves or something. And she would, you know, she'd help me through this panic attack. She just let me sit there. I was having a panic attack. I'd come home from school and came from, you know, even to this day, like when I was having financial hardships, she'd always send me like 20 bucks or 30 bucks or some gas money here and there. And that goes back to that whole thing. And then even when I'm just, I'm just having a bad day, something about being with granny and like, not just what she does, but like when I'm having like some bad time or something, I can be like, 
what would granny do or i'll think of a funny story she told me because like you know you're talking about that big hillbilly granny uh she my papa's uh factory took them on a cruise one time they like won a raffle to go on a cruise or something and you know they took her uh they took my papa and my granny and then two other people who actually one of them or i guess both of them happened to be my godparents it was lee flora and his wife and i can't remember her name i think it's becky or betsy i don't remember but you know they own a funeral home in the county floor funeral home and then granny and papa you know they're you know they were sharecroppers and now pop works in a factory and um they were on this cruise and they got sat with these people from new jersey or new york or something according to granny and apparently like they uh the person who uh was sitting with them was like looking at my granny and he goes that's crazy and uh, this is in 2006 this is not like back in the 60s or the 70s uh where this might have been like a thing but uh he goes wow do y'all like have running water and holy shit my granny said oh, i was liable pop him in the mouth and like you know because she, she my granny's fiery and that's where i get it from you've never you you don't know me super well but yeah. me, if you ever see someone like say some shit i am actually very like fiery i'm very like i will get in a fight almost every person on my dad's side of the family has been thrown out of a sporting event um, <laughs> because we all played sports and so like you get in an argument with the ref you know you're out of there but that very common for my family and she said she said but no i kept it together and i said i said well that depends you you live uphill or down so uh-huh. uh so that's it's just it's just stories like that from my granny that you know i i can't wait to tell my kids that story or you know i can't wait to tell my kids about who granny was so yeah i love that um wh- what gives you hope during challenging times gives me hope um culture i feel like i feel like a lot of my responses i'm so sorry for this just no i love it because i feel like i know for a fact i haven't interviewed anybody who is so in touch with their culture and who um culture is so important to this person like that person's life so this is like super interesting to me so like don't apologize at all I think, yeah, and then it, it, it does that for so many reasons. Like, you know, when it comes to even like something as like scary as climate denial or climate change is, you know, in Appalachia, way through my county and other counties uh, in Appalachia, you have the Mountain Valley pipeline running through, you know, different counties. And you have people who are sitting up in trees who are from this area who are reporting violations from this company. They are, you know, putting their livelihood and their lives and their like everything on hold so that they can sit in a tree and they can make sure that this pipeline does not pass through these counties so that we can have continue to have good drinking water in this area or we can continue to have you know good access and like we don't have to worry about a pipeline busting and like infected water or something and so yeah yeah it's almost like yeah, it's like pride in your where you live. I mean, it's like it's 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 yeah, it's like pride. Yeah, but I don't know how you cultivate that if you don't have it, you know, like because it's like me, like I I was not born into a, an area or a family with like culture like you. So it's like, no, I don't have that like that type of pride. But it's like, 
how would you how do you cultivate that especially like living in a big city it's like I guess it's the people for me more so than like the land because like you know I mean we have land but it's like mostly been built upon so it's more so just like connecting with community and feeling like pride about my community and that being like like why I want to protect it I guess which I guess that's pretty similar um yeah I I mean I think that's I think we did them all um thanks again this is so incredible um I'm so grateful for your time. I'm so grateful for you for being just the authentic version of you and showing that to people on TikTok, on Instagram, like on all the socials. And because if it wasn't for that, I, I wouldn't know you. And I'm so glad I know you. So thank you. So for um, you. I really appreciate that. Thanks for listening to this episode of How the Fuck Did You Bounce Back? That was Clover Lynn that you just heard from. You can find her uh, on all the socials at Hillbilly Gothic is her handle on Instagram and, and TikTok. Let's get into it a little bit. This episode, we talked a lot about culture, which is very cool to me because that isn't something that is really ingrained in me. It wasn't something that I grew up with or um, that honestly that I was that interested in, which I feel like shit saying that um but after talking to clover i was like wow like it is so impactful knowing about your culture um but anyway okay so we started out talking about generational poverty and how that affected clover growing up and then we got into the importance of the appalachian culture for her it's something that is a driving force in her life that keeps her uh rooted in her values really and um keeps her moving in the right direction she talked about changing her accent in an attempt to fit in but ultimately that didn't work because she had to go through the process of unlearning suppression and eventually her accent she wanted it back you know because that's part of who she is she talked about feeling like she had to be a well put together person and she she talked about that as like the middle class in order to fit in and with that she said that it it was also overcoming a self-hatred because people around her who weren't from the Appalachian area would call the music she played like hick music is what she said and looked down upon where she came from and who she is and so she shunned that for a while. And that also goes with transitioning, um, which was hard for her, she said as well. But eventually she realized like, no, like I am who I am and I love this person and I'm just going to be authentically me. And that was one of the pieces of advice that she gave was be true to your authentic self fully and don't sacrifice parts of yourself. She also talked about being there for the next generation of you We had a conversation about um, not seeing yourself represented in the world around you and how difficult that can be. And she talked about, you know, being a trans woman and uh, being a musician and being from Appalachia and wanting and needing and uh, being devoted to being there for the next generation so that they can come up and have a role model to look for. And then we kind of wrapped it up with, going on a drive as a way to ground yourself and bring yourself back to the present moment. When she's having a hard day, she says she gets in her car and she drives and it really helps her get in touch with her community and her culture because she's looking around and seeing 
how beautiful it is and remembering how um, how enriched the area is with history and with her family and with her love of community. Thanks again for listening to this episode. Instead of playing the normal podcast music, I am going to play you some of Clover Len's music. So what you're about to hear is Trevor McKenzie and Clover Len. Oh, and new episodes every Thursday. <laughs> <laughs>